Good evening, everybody. This is Chat with the Designers, your live online interactive weekly magazine for hams, home brewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains of the world, of the universe, and uh, of all of the RF links in between those points. This is your host, George N2APB. And I wanted to mention that Joe, N2CX, the other um, uh, co-host, is feeling under the weather today. And he's on some medication that, that uh, he's not sure if he's grabbing the mic or the uh, um, or, or whatever else happens to be within in reaching distance. So he's um, perhaps even listening on a side channel here tonight, but it's, uh, it's just me. But this is... Uh, this is really interesting because we had already also arranged to have a guest host with us tonight, and that would be Frank, N3PUU, and uh, Frank is uh, going to be interacting with me, with us, here tonight as we go through our program. The program tonight is uh, concerning the XB, the XB radio module, It's uh, and we entitled this thing a, a simple RF data link for ham station mesh networking. Now that's a, that's a whole heck of a lot of words, and if you haven't done any reading up on it yet, this should all be kind of interesting here for you tonight. Um, we're exploring some new territory, always pushing the envelope as far as some uh, new technologies are concerned. It might not be new in the world. XB has been around for a bit, but personally, Joe and I have not... Uh, have not played with it uh, yet, but we see some applications that seem to be really perfect for it. So we wanted to explore it together, and we've been doing that. And then now we're bringing it uh, forward here to the chat with the designer group and sharing some of our design experiences and tips and references and ideas. And in order to do that, we uh, we have also uh, a good friend of us here in the uh, New Jersey area, the New Jersey QRP group. Um, is uh, Frank N3PUU. Frank has been playing with the uh, the XBs for some time. He's a great experimenter and has often uh, kind of charted off onto his in his own territory, uh, own direction with a project or two. And we have been in the last week or so, we've been getting some good advice and guidance from Frank as far as uh, what what we're doing wrong. Um, there's even though it's a simple module, as we'll see, there's all sorts of little gotchas along the way that we wanted to that we needed to get our hands around. And um, enough for being able to demonstrate the simple the simple operation of an XB radio link uh, from point to point, and also then to start charting off some direction into mesh networking or multi-node types of communications in uh, for ham shack ham radio applications. So we're really pleased to have Frank here with us. And uh, uh, Frank, why don't you say hi to everybody? We're I'll give a brief intro to the whole program yet, but I just wanted to. Uh, give you a chance to say hey, and uh, you've you've been here with the program for uh, on numerous times and good contributing to us. But uh, nice to have you here with us this night uh, in a very live mode. Go ahead. Sure, thanks, George. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to be here. I've uh, been following the Chat with the Designers program since the first uh, episode back. Oh, it's got to be almost two years now, and I really enjoy the program. And uh, it's it's great to be able to pitch in a little bit. Go ahead. Oh, fine business, and. Uh, it, uh, it's funny because we have we have uh, good uh, every month we've got a um, a New Jersey QRP in person meeting over in the uh, um, Brooklawn session of New Jersey and uh, Frank of course attends along with uh, some fifteen to twenty others but oftentimes we well every time we have an early breakfast before the meeting and we wrap it up by going over to lunch afterwards and we have some really good design sessions at these uh, pre and post meeting times and i think i enjoy those most often uh, most even more 
well, at least equally, as compared to uh, the meetings themselves with everybody there present. We get a chance to kind of shake out our ideas and our designs, and that's where some of our ideas here for tonight took, uh, uh, took, uh, took hold. So we're really pleased to kind of talk about things here. And uh, uh, the second part of the program tonight, just to kind of let you know, we're continuing our, our Precision Arduino Clock project. We'll be spending a few minutes uh, toward the end of the program updating you on, on everybody on the synchronization and the seven-segment display edition. So the schematic and the, uh, the photos and the software have been updated on our whiteboard for the evolving Arduino clock project. And uh, pretty soon, I already said that I'd do it by now, but oh well, um, I'm going to have a, a dedicated Arduino clock page, such there is one location for all of the latest information. And make it a little bit simpler instead of having to find the latest issue of CWTD in order to get the latest software and schematics and so on. So we'll, we'll update everybody on our progress with the clock. And um, we've, we've got some neat things coming along. I was kidding during the advertisements a little bit, uh, the promotion for the, the radio program. Hopefully, some of you recognize my reference to 2001 Space Odyssey, wherein David Bowman, the astronaut who went off into Never Never Land, um, came back in spirit and said to everybody, something wonderful is going to happen. As far as, uh, as, far as the intelligence on Europa and, and the second sun coming and, and a whole new universe uh, exploding and whatnot. Well, so, so too is this uh, what we have here. We, we think that we have been working at, some, at a granular level on a couple of threads, and we're going to start tying some of these threads together. The, um, the advanced students among us might recognize kind of where we're going. We'll ask you to kind of keep that quiet just a little bit and uh, bear with us and uh, kind of enjoy the ride because we're going to be developing some extra capabilities as we go along here with the radio link, with the clock, with some other things we've had in the past and uh, kind of uh, make it a worthwhile effort following along here and chat with the designers. Um, and even more importantly, hopefully, following along on your workbench with what we're doing here. So, uh, maybe before we get started here, does anybody have any questions from previous weeks that have been kind of hanging? If you've tried something on your bench, and yeah, before we get into new territory, new material here today, are there any questions that you might have relative to um, the projects that you've got going and um, what uh, we might be able to do in helping you out uh, on the air here? Go ahead. Yeah, Rick, you and I were corresponding offline uh, about your find about um, some of the good library-less software or a sketch that does not use uh, some of the canned libraries. And indeed, finding that talking over the I2C or the TWC, the two-wire, yeah. TWI, two-wire interface, can be done uh, can be done in a discreet manner without uh, calling some of the libraries. I'm not sure if it saves an awful lot of uh, code space because you, <clears throat> you need to do it need to do the functions anyways, um, but it, uh, it kind of uh, is a different way of uh, achieving some of that function. So good for you, and thanks for sharing that, Rick. Yeah, I, got, I eventually had to abandon the 1302 chip uh, because it's so unsupported. Uh, I don't know what the, what the design objective was for it, but certainly the, the, uh, the 1207 is uh, a superior in terms of the support and the kind of code it's got there. Um, I finally did get the uh, whatever it is, the 1207, and uh, got everything all up and running. 
Excellent. Very glad to hear that. Um, Lee, you said in the text session section here that uh, you've got a question. Do you have your mic uh, operational? Yeah. I. Uh, this is Gary. I was um, curious about this. You're talking about bypassing the libraries. Uh, that's what I've kind of started to do because I'm looking at my overall personal project that I'm trying to do, which is a little different. In, in particular, I'm looking at things like um, parsing uh, the sentences on a, from a GPS. And I think that, you know, writing that code myself is going to give me more control. I still haven't figured out how to go into a library and pull out the source code so I can see what they're doing so I can adapt it. So um, I'm kind of taking that route of doing it myself as well. Yeah, real fine, Gary. I understand exactly what you're uh, what you're meaning, and uh, I applaud you for giving a shot at uh, at doing it kind of like without a library. Anything could be done without a library. A library is just a collection of common routines, and often um, efficient uh, code and hopefully tested code that can be reused among different programs and and so on. Um, doing it yourself, you know, you, you 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 wiggle the bits that are necessary, or in your case, you you parse through the text string that's being sent from your GPS module, and then you um, you you develop the code necessary to interpret uh, the different characters coming along and trying to determine what they mean and well as we say parse them in determining the f different fields and the data that are contained within those fields. The, you, you, you have a good point about the library is not, to my knowledge at all, you, uh, usually written in, um, in um, what's called processing language or the C-like language of the Arduino. It's written in C++, um, a .cpp and a .h file. You will find those two files in normally in every library um, collection that you find. And when you do install a library, you put that over in the Arduino folder, your main development folder, in the libraries folder. And if you go into there, you can see there's a lot of libraries. And if you double-click those folders for any given one, whether it's Wire or GPS or um, Soft Serial, such as we're using here with the um, with the XP, is the um, at least one of the libraries. You would see a, a C++ file and it's not at all as easy to understand a C++ type of file. It's very generalized and often takes care of different kinds of versions and different modules. So um, I usually don't try to find, I don't try to find missing information by looking at that file. I, I normally do searches and uh, on the internet and finding other people who have asked that question, maybe in an XB form or in your case in a GPS form, like maybe in the Lady, uh, Lady Ada section or Adafruit. Um, forums and you can glean information as far as uh, parameter usage and whether you need an extra bit here or there or a true flag or a false flag in order to complete the parameters that you're using to invoke something but uh, fully understand what you mean okay Frank why don't we uh, why don't we get into things here I want to move things along and uh, uh, XB you've you've had your hands around XB for a couple of years I think um, and controlling your own project. Why don't you just give a short background as far as like how you encountered XP and what you wanted to do with it in your in your particular uh, projects there in your bench and in your home, and uh, that can kind of lead us up into today as far as what we have. Sure, George. I, I've been using these modules about a year and a half now, 
and I've known about him for a couple of years. And at first, my uh, initial thing was to blow them off a little bit. Uh, although they're by no means horribly expensive, they are certainly not as cheap as a pair of wires. So when I had to communicate between two devices, I tend to use a wire link. And about uh, 18 months back, I constructed a uh, Arduino-based power monitor to monitor the power here at the house. And it monitors voltage and current on the two legs and does a little fancy math to get uh, power and apparent power. And I wanted to send that data back to a server for long-term record keeping. And uh, I didn't have a way to easily get a wire from where this needed to be out in the garage uh, to where the server has to live. And uh, that was a perfect opportunity to experiment with these. So I picked up a pair of these modules and took a look at some of the documentation online. And inside of about uh, two hours, I had a wireless link running between my power monitor project and the, the server that logs the data. Uh, in my case, I chose to use uh, the, the Series 2 modules of the uh, XBs because those are uh, ZigBee compliant, and we'll probably get into that a little more later, a little more of the details of the differences. And uh, <clears throat> along with that, uh, I was able to pick up a ZigBee-enabled uh, thermostat for, for the house, and uh, I have that installed downstairs, and now I have this little three-node uh, ZigBee network, and the devices can all talk and, and interact. And uh, there, it's been it's been a, a interesting experience. It, it works wonderfully. I've had the power monitor running for 18 months or so nonstop, and uh, sending one one packet per second, and I have not missed a beat. So they're definitely reliable. Uh, back to you. That is so cool, Frank. I really. Uh I really applaud your your uh, your uh, your inventiveness. I guess is a is a good way to say it to, to to strike out and to try something there. And undoubtedly, I'm guessing you would have uh, you know you looked up uh, some other projects that were using the XB and you got some ideas and and uh, like we all do, we we borrow a little bit from here and there and ultimately go to the spread uh, to the spec sheet, uh, bloody our heads against the table when we encounter something that just doesn't work as we think it should. <laughs> right, Frank, about uh, 1 a.m. last night, we were bloodying our heads on uh, our respective benches trying to figure out a problem that you ultimately got uh, working. Thank you very much. But uh, that's all part of the learning. It's part of the experience. I don't want to get too far ahead of the, of the game, but tell us. Um, uh, what, what, let's some basic questions here. Okay. What's the distance? What's the, what's the power level that we're running? We're all hams here. So we understand power levels. Um, but what's the frequency and what's the distance and the different power levels that we're talking about as far as, uh, with the XB modules? Sure. Uh, so to start, uh, we'll start with the frequencies. Uh, right now there are radios available in the 900 megahertz ISM band and the 2.4 gigahertz ISM band. Um, the radios are spread spectrum, and the power output is certainly in the milliwatt range. Um, part of the design goal of these devices is to keep power consumption low. Uh, range obviously depends on a few factors. The modules are available with different antennas. Uh, one, as you'll see pictured in the whiteboard under the What is XB heading, there's a picture of two modules. The module in the upper left-hand corner has what's called the chip antenna, and that is the blue 
uh, square up top the module with the circle with the little triangle in it. And that would have the lowest range of all the modules. And these are good for when you're uh, in an application where you have a tight packaging requirement and you don't want wires hanging out of it. Uh, for instance, my, my thermostat uses a chip antenna. Uh, the other module in that picture has a wire antenna, which is uh, right around a quarter wave whip. That uh, is around the middle of the range. And for higher range applications, there are modules available with connectors on them. I believe it's a U.FL connector for an external antenna. And as everyone knows here, uh, the range then would be highly dependent on the gain and the directionality of the antenna. I uh, hope that uh, clears it up. Yeah, it's, uh, it kind of puts it, starts putting it in its place. You mentioned uh, Series 1 and Series 2, and I think this is a fundamental thing that we can get under our belts here today in understanding what we're dealing with. Um, <clears throat> because on one hand, I talk about um, a mesh network for ham radio applications here in our shack. And on the other hand, um, we know, you and I know, that there is a difference between Series 1 and Series 2. Series 1 is point-to-point. And Series 2 allows operation in a mesh, multi-node uh, uh, type of arrangement. Ultimately, I think that's a good thing to, uh, um, a better environment, a better system architecture, if you will, to be dealing with. Because you can have multiple nodes in the system, much like you do have in your house. You're monitoring your power in your house. You've got the temperature uh, coming in from the from a thermostat, and uh, or at least the thermostatic control. I'm not sure which it was. But... Um, uh, there's at least, and then you've got a base station that kind of either receives data or coordinates the data. So there's at least three nodes that you're talking about there. Um, so series two, um, multi-node uh, types of communications are are the are the longer term. But we're starting off with series one, which is a um, which is a point-to-point types of communication. Now, uh, Frank, is the um, are the can you, well, let's do it this way. Can you elaborate on a series one and series two? And I'm just wondering, is a given module always a series one or a series two, or can it be reprogrammed into being a uh, uh, the other one? Go ahead. Sure. So those are uh, those are good questions. So there are series one and series two modules. Uh, they are not interchangeable. Um, if, if you have a Series 1 application, you need to buy a Series 1 module. If you have a Series 2 application, you buy a Series 2 module. Uh, they're defined on the device when you look at them, as you see in the picture on the whiteboard. Uh, a Series 1 module nowadays has no marking on it at all. It simply says XB. If you have a Series 2 module under XB, it will say S like SAM 2. Uh, the first and most important thing to say is that uh, Series 2 is not necessarily better than Series 1. They are uh, two different types of modules based on the same specifications, base specifications, that is. And each one uh, has strong points and weaknesses. Uh, series 1 modules are the first modules that came out from uh, Digi. Back then it was MaxStream. And these modules follow an IEEE standard known as 802.15.4. And 802.15.4 is a wireless communication standard which defines the two lowest levels of uh, the protocol stack for PANs, personal area networks. And that's what these devices work in, is a personal area network. Uh, the Series 2 module runs the ZigBee specification. ZigBee is a protocol that sits on top 
of 802.15.4. It's an extension, if you will, and it also incorporates a slight tweak to 802.15.4, which enables mesh networking. With the Series 1 modules, the straight 802.15.4, they support point-to-point -point links, which look like a straight line, and they support point-to-multipoint links, which the topography would look a little bit like a spoken wheel. In a mesh network, which is something you can run under Zigbee, uh, modules can communicate to other modules in an ad hoc manner. And if a module drops off the network and another module is talking through that, it will look out on the network and find another way to its destination through other modules. Uh, hopefully that hasn't confused anyone. Go ahead, George. Well, I don't think it, it hasn't. It just helped straighten it out for me a little bit. Let me repeat it, and then we'll kind of open it up for questions, because I think this is kind of at the base of, of our discussions. We have two kinds of, uh, of these XB uh, modules. Uh, now, the Series 1 modules are very popular with do-it-yourself crowd, and the Series 2 hardware supports the full Zigbee protocol. Series 1 is great for simple cable replacement. Like you said, it's point-to-point uh, -point or like a straight wire connection. And... Um, in smaller size systems. And Series 2 is designed with larger sensor networks in mind, and it's kind of essential for the larger, robust interactions that that the, Zig, that the Zigbee standards-based um, systems are now being, you know, widely used in, in uh, residential, academic, and commercial types of uh, scenarios. If I understand you right, the Series 2 hardware has a little bit more range, a little bit higher. Um, actually, I think it has a little bit less power uh, uses slightly less power than Series 1, yet there are other improvements uh, that, that don't make that a big decision maker uh, when choosing one or the other. Um, both have the same footprint. They look the same. They look very similar except for the notations that you mentioned. And um, they can be, from a, from that form factor, they can be interchanged pretty easily with only uh, basic changes to the underlying software. Um, but the Series 2 will not operate. It will not interoperate with Series 1 at all. There's no question about that. It's a matter of software protocol. One, uh, one is speaking uh, uh, Portuguese, and the other one is speaking, speaking uh, Navajo Indian or something. I, I, I don't know. But uh, nonetheless, what we're dealing with today, what we're dealing with starting off is the simpler Series 1 point-to-point type of communication, the straight wire replacement, as it were. And when we get down to talking about it in just a moment, we'll be explaining how one is a transmitter and the other one is a receiver, or in a, di in a, in a duplex type of arrangement that switches around, and the other one can transmit, and the other one receives. So it's just like having a wire connected between, but of course it is... Uh, it's uh, it's an RF link, either at 2.4 gig or 900 megahertz. So um, that, in a in a big nutshell, is the XBs. By the way, and we'll mention where we can get them in a second. These things are, they're not cheap, but they're not expensive either. I think they're on the order of what, uh, Frank, 20 bucks. Yep, depending on the uh, the series and the antenna configuration, they run about 18 to 23 dollars. Okay, so. If you want, need, got to have kind of a, a communication from here to the other room or around the house where it's inconvenient to have wire going around, um, where you would normally want to have like a <clears throat> like a modem wire on uh, RX and TX lines of uh, a serial port type of communication, uh, this would be a, a good choice. And as we'll see in some of the later projects, the mesh network around the shack 
when using a Series 2, of course, would be a really cool implementation of uh, types of different kinds of control, different kinds of uh, data gathering, data sending uh, for CNC, command and control, around the ham radio shack. But I, I get ahead of ourselves here, so let's not uh, do that just yet. So um, a lot of new information here, and if you're like uh, Joe and myself and, and Frank maybe a year and a half ago, you didn't know that much about uh, XB. You might have read about it and heard about it. There are some very, very cool references um, that we have down in our reference section, per usual. And there's one I didn't get. Um, Frank gave, uh, gave me a pointer to get the O'Reilly book on building wireless sensor networks, I think. And I'll put that link up there. It's an excellent, excellent, uh, excellent book. So um, now you have a chance to kind of look at it and, and, uh, and the information here and get some project ideas. And we'll, we'll have some examples of the projects in just a moment. But for now, questions, please. Any Is anybody like totally off the planet as far as what we're talking about? Yeah, Rick, go ahead. Uh, I was just curious whether this uh, the chipset and the software and the the uh, transmission schemes uh, are the same as used in uh, the wireless telephones uh, that are so pervasive in the home environment. Um, I doubt it, but Frank, do you have any insight there? Uh, not not that I'm aware of. I haven't seen a a uh, a phone yet uh, that uses either 802.15.4 or Zigbee. Uh, they do share the same spectrum, of course, the ISM band uh, that uh, a lot of phones do. But the uh, one of the beauties of spread spectrum is is that it deals with the interference pretty well. George, has anybody looked at um, um, how to make a decision as to how much power you need? Like if I want to just go within a room or uh, I'm thinking particularly of uh, from where I'm sitting here in the, the shack up, uh, to above the roof, uh, going outdoors with it. I don't know, Gary. Um, I think it's probably the inverse of that. There's probably a maximum power level that we are legally that one is able to legally use within the ISM band. And uh, the big question is how far can you get with that particular power level? And as Frank said before, the combination of antennas and um, um, the obstructions that you might have um, uh, between the two points in question. Frank, any thoughts there? I can give some anecdotal evidence. Uh, in, in my case, my, my two furthest nodes are both running uh, wireless, the wire antenna that we spoke about earlier, and they communicate no problem over probably a distance of about 70 feet uh, through a floor and about a half a dozen walls. Well, that's, that's uh, pretty good. Um, I'm going to do uh, – that'll be a great uh, – Basis for an experiment, I think, Gary, um, as far as getting a given, in fact, I've, I've got it here. I'm looking at it right now, um, and it's the same setup that is pictured on our whiteboard. So I can separate those two nodes, what I call, I creatively call the left-hand uh, XB node and the right-hand side, uh, the right XB node. I can probably uh, do that pretty easily, and I'll explain that when we get down to show, explaining the breadboard and the first-level experiments. Um, I wanted to wanted to see, let's see where I can I could dial it up here somehow, but um, the uh, there are some great sources for this. This is not like a one shot kind of deal. These the uh, I, I think there's a boatload of different kind of XB modules that are produced uh, um, out there. Digi is a big um, is a big vendor that uh, I don't know if they're just the home sponsoring vendor, um, the the owner of the technology as it were. 
But uh, Digi International is um, got uh, one is able to buy directly from Digi, and, and again the data sheet is from Digi, the uh, the applications note is from Digi, and um, MakerShed, you know, Make Magazine. Um, which happens to be published by O'Reilly, and the, the maker of that book that I, I mentioned, is um, uh, you can get the modules from them. Uh, SparkFun Electronics. Uh, many of us go to SparkFun to get our different uh, fun electronics uh, kits and parts and, and so on. Over the last uh, 51 episodes of Chat with the Designers, DigiKey, as Frank mentioned, um, also carries uh, these XB modules. And actually, I think, Frank, you found that uh, uh, DigiKey uh, carried them for just a little bit less, and that's kind of where you got yours from, right? That That's correct. Um, DigiKey sells the modules I use, I believe, right around $18 or $19. Uh, most of the hobbyist sites run 22 to $23 for the same module. Um, the, the trade-off there is you have to take some time. You have to look at the data sheet. You have to decide the one you want. Anyone here who's been on DigiKey's site knows that the parts catalog there is kind of insane. They have everything imaginable. Oh, I actually I enjoy the uh, DigiKey catalog. Um, and I, in fact, I happen to like it better than uh, well, the one that starts with an M. Um, but uh, um, I... I got my XB modules from Adafruit Technologies, and that's the last vendor that I wanted to mention there. The uh, um, if you if you kind of dial down to below the below on the whiteboard, if you move down below the chart that shows the specs that we've been talking about for the last few minutes, you'll see a photograph of uh, uh, an XB module with sitting on a small board so with a 10-pin pin header and different kinds of uh, control signals coming in and out. I'm going to talk about this for just a moment because it's kind of an important aspect. Um, the XB module, the blue module as photographed, as, as in the photograph, is that's that's the actual XB module itself. Um, it is a 3.3 volt device, and you have to be careful with its pin voltages that are applied to the pins and, and so on. <clears throat> what they do, these different vendors do, and again, I'm, I'm dealing a lot with Adafruit, and I recommend that everybody at least get a little bit of stuff from Adafruit. They, they do a wonderful, wonderful job with the the sample sketches, the sample Arduino programs and interfaces and the shields and such that we're using. We're not tied to Adafruit by any chance, by any dimension, but uh, they are just a wonderful vendor, and uh, I'm probably going to continue buying from them, even if it's a few bucks higher. Um, <clears throat> what one normally gets when you buy an XB module is this little voltage translator board that the XB module is sitting in. It's that green PCB module with a 10-pin pin header, and it provides an onboard voltage regulator, uh, taking your 5 volts coming in and converting it down to 3 volts and making sure that it's filtered. And, uh, golly, there's a chip on there, Frank. W what does the chip do? Is that just another buffer for the, uh, the different I.O. pins? Uh, yeah, there's actually a level shifter on there because, uh, as you said, the XB is a 3.3-volt device, and the microcontroller that's using the Arduino and a lot of the popular microcontrollers are 5-volt devices. And in this case, the XB is not 5-volt tolerant, so you, you need a little part in the middle there, which is that chip, which uh, converts the 5-volt logic signals to 3.3-volt logic signals and vice versa. Yeah, perfect. And in case you haven't encountered that before, this is an important point with the design of our electronics these days. Something that you need to be aware of. And sometimes you'll see a, uh, 
a buffer chip in between two other chips um, that seemingly is not really overly necessary, but um, in, in many cases it's used for voltage translation to allow a 3.3 volt microcontroller, for example, to talk with a 5 volt LCD. Um, the levels coming out of the 3 volt controller do not go as high as it does if it were a 5 volt controller. Of course, the, the translation um, swings of the digital I.O., for example, do not go as high, and vice versa. The voltages come, uh, the, the signal levels coming in from a 5 volt device are going to go higher than the 3 volt, 3.3 volt rail or top end of the 3.3 volt device. And generally, that's not a good thing to do at all. You don't, you never ever want to have your inputs to a chip go higher than the, the rail of the chip itself. That, uh, it, it causes problems that we won't get into here, but it's just not a good thing to do and you can burn your chips out. Some chips have protection and some chips are uh, tolerant of such mismatches, but not the XB. So it's important with the XB, just to be sure, if you're if you're using a 5-volt system such as the Arduinos that we are using, you'll need to get this little extra module. And that's an extra, I forgot how much, maybe an extra $10 um, that's required. And the XB just plugs into it. It's a plug removable. And um, I got a couple of XB series ones, and I got a couple of those voltage translators. And then I also got another kind of carrier board. Um, it has a built-in USB. Um, for those of you who know it, it's the FTDI uh, USB controller chip. And that allows that, what you see right here, to be plugged in directly to the uh, a serial port or a, serial, a USB serial cable which connects to your computer. We'll talk about that in a second because we do use that for the left-hand side of our sample link. But to suffice it to say here, the, the voltage translation is an important part, and you see the pinouts of the of the XB module and the different data coming. And they use a convention that I also use, or at least I try most often to use, is it can get very confusing when you're talking about serial data, you know, RX and TX serial data, because oftentimes you've got two devices and each one has a, a TXD, the TX data line, and an RXD or an RX data line. Contrary to what you might think, you do not connect the RXD of one device to the RXD of the other. You need to swap them with the RX and the TX because one is going to be talking in one direction or sending data in one direction, and then it's going to be receiving data inward on the other device, on the, on the other line of that device. So the convention that's being followed here on the whiteboard with this diagram is that, for example, if you see the TX serial data from XB, there's a red line that shows data going away from the board. The RX serial data into the XB shows an arrow going to the pin number 1, 2, 3, 4, fourth from the bottom. So just a little bit of uh, insight relative to conventions that Joe and I and probably Frank use relative to our schematics when we're dealing with serial data. It's, 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 it's good to keep track of which way the data is going. It can get awfully confusing sometimes. So you need a carrier board. And uh, as I said, you can get uh, you get one for the USB uh, with a USB connection too. Alrighty then. So let's get into the, uh, the our first application, which is using the uh, what I call the uh, basic radio link for text to text connection, also called a modem. And uh, in yellow highlight, I put there. This is the first step of our ham station mesh network project. Although we're we're not meshing anything, we only have two nodes. A mesh sort of implies three or more. 
uh, nodes that are in communication with each other. But this is the first step of getting smart and getting things working. And believe me, you want to, you want to start simple and build up your experience, your capabilities, and get the conventions down. I broke a couple of fingernails, even though they're short from guitar playing. I still bent one back trying to get the modules in and out of the carrier boards because I had to do some swapping around, as we'll talk about. But uh, nonetheless, I learned an awful lot, especially in the last couple of days with Frank's help, as far as how these things work, the characteristic uh, configuration of them, and so on. Speaking of configuration, and Frank, I'll turn it over to you in just a second here on this topic of the XCTU configurator program. These, these uh, XB controllers um, are configurable. In fact, they were quite amazing. Uh, I'm speaking with Frank uh, earlier, and he said, oh, yeah, I said, we wanted to turn one into a, we wanted to get an A to D reading out of one of them and uh, be able to send an A to D reading, like a temperature sensing uh, from an LM34, for example. Get a, an analog voltage, digitize it, and send it over the link to the base station and display the temperature. And that's ultimately one of the end projects that we're, we're ending up with here today. Um, he said, yeah, well, you just kind of use this program called uh, X-CTU, and uh, you reconfigure it to do this, this, and this. I said, Frank, why do we have to reconfigure anything? Is this not you just kind of put an analog voltage on there and boom, it sends it over? So showing my naivete relative to things, there's a little bit more involved with that, but there's a whole lot of capability built into these uh, these modules from a configuration standpoint. You can do a lot of different things with them. Frank, you want to take it from there? Sure. So George mentioned the XCTU uh, configurator, which is software available from, from DigiKey. We'll, we'll see if we can get the, the link to that. Or uh, not from DigiKey, from uh, Digi. Uh, we'll get the link to that up in, in, in the uh, chat box. Uh, this software does a, a few different things. One is it allows you to reflash the XBs with their firmware. Uh, there's various versions of the firmware to do different things. Uh, each one specializes in, in certain applications. The other thing it allows you to do is configure the modules uh, and their behavior from the computer, which is most of the time an easier way to do it. It's a little more visual. The devices themselves, as George mentioned, have uh, a, a few pins of general purpose I.O., and they also have onboard analog to digital converters and an analog uh, or onboard digital to analog converters. Those are all configurable and their behavior is configurable. Um, is that, that what you were looking for, George? Yes, sir. Indeed it is. And uh, I should have, and, and I will, um, as, I, as I normally do, I update the whiteboard after the show, of course, with the the, the text discussion that we have in our text windows um, and with the uh, podcast, but also updating various other points that are brought up during the program, additional references. Um, what I will show is a screen capture of the, uh, the CTU program that we're talking about, the configurator program. And uh, you'll see that there is a boatload of different parameters and it's uh, that, that can be set to configure the device to make it operate in a different manner. For example, and well, I'll leave, I'm leaving the hand a little bit too much. When we get to the end, we'll show you, we'll, we'll discuss some of the configuration op options that are possible. Um, so let's, uh, let's, uh, let's discuss, and if you slide down just a little bit past the picture, you'll see that my hand-drawn sketch relative to the system picture of what we're talking about. So let's talk about through that. Um, we could have done a, um, um, a, the purpose 
of this first demonstration program, which, by the way, is, is the very same identical program as is posted on the Arduino, on the uh, Lady Ada, the Lady Ada tutorial for using an XB. So what you do is you go out and you buy yourself two of the Series 1 XBs and two of the carriers. And um, curiously, with, the, uh, uh, with this first experiment, you don't have to do anything relative to configuration. Native XBs plugged in, doing what we're doing here with the Arduino software that I'll explain in just a moment, will allow you to send data back and forth across that uh, the dotted line down the middle of that picture of the diagram uh, across the RF link between the left XB and the right XB. Um, it could be two computers, uh, you know, one computer on either side connected to its XB, um, sending data back and forth, much as, uh, you know, you would in a normal modem situation in the old days of the RBBS um, uh, for packet radio. But what we did here and what they did is for simplicity, since most of us don't have two computers handy on our, on our, on our bench, this can be done with one computer and two serial consoles or serial terminal programs on, running on the computer. So you see in a diagram, the left-hand side of the uh, screen of my laptop, and it's pretty much how it looks here on a bench, is the XCTU terminal. There's a, there's the CTU program that we were just talking about has a little sub-window that is just a terminal. Whatever you type in, it goes out the serial port, whatever you you, uh, whatever comes in the serial port, you know, the, from the USB port, kind of gets displayed on the window. You could also use uh, Xterm. You could use Z modem. I'm with my uh, with the Micro 908 and the HC 908 projects that I've got. Uh, you could use uh, TerraTerm is a very popular one that we use there. On the right hand side. We use the, is the Arduino program. Those of you who have been following along, I've actually done a a uh, an Arduino sketch and compiled it and downloaded it to an Arduino board that's connected at the end of that right-hand side USB cable, you have an opportunity to open up a serial console and because the program that runs, the sketch that's running in the Arduino, um, actually talks over that USB port to that serial console such that it uses it for communications you know, with the operator. So in effect, we've got two terminals on this computer that we have pictured here, the left side and the right side. And all you have to do is click on one or the other to get focused there and, uh, and then start typing. So in other words, with the system that you see here, shown exactly as it is, you would click with your mouse on the right side serial console window and get the focus there and you would type data. And that data you would see appear over on the left hand CTU terminal. It's pretty cool. I was thinking, and I will uh, get a little YouTube video made of this just to see, just to show it in action. It's so simple and so obvious, but it's so cool when you do it and you put it together yourself and you actually, boom, you see it happen. Now, you old timer, you, you, you experts out there are going to say, oh, you know, yawn. You know, this is like way, uh, way basic. And, but you got to start someplace. And believe me, two out of the box XBs connected up with standard USB cables to your computer running free software that we've got here. Um, there's there's nothing like it seeing it working out of the box, and it's just really, really, uh, really good. And just to finish the story, if you move your mouse over and you click on the left-hand uh, side of the screen, the terminal, the, uh, the CTU terminal on the left-hand side there, and type something in there, you will see it appear on the serial console of the right, because the data that you're typing in the CTU terminal goes down, uh, kind of logically, 
goes down you know, from the keyboard, through the processor, out the left-hand side USB, all the way up to the XB on the left-hand side, translates up to either 900 or 2.4 gig, you know, go, goes over the RF link to the other XB, gets turned back into serial data, or the digital serial data, and can connect it to the Arduino. The Arduino re, um, reads that data and sends that ASCII data out down the right-hand side USB into the computer and up into its serial console on the right-hand side. So if you follow that, it's a straightforward path for getting data. And as I said, that could be uh, two computers side-by-side, side, two computers across the, uh, well, across the distance of whatever the XB link is. Um, Frank, you want to add anything to, to this system diagram here? No, George, I, I think you uh, you definitely have it summed up. I mean, the first time anybody gets any hardware, the first thing you do is write the Hello World program. And for the XBs, that's really what this is. Let's go down to the uh, the next uh, windows there, which show the actual terminals. Question? Yeah, sure, Lee, go ahead. The, uh, now, what the XBs that we're looking at here in the Arduinos, is that the XB and the carrier board and, and each of those? That's So you would really need... Two XBs, two carrier boards, and an Arduino to get this thing to go like that? Yes, sir. That's exactly right. You, you don't have a good close-up view, but I'll make that point clearer later on. The Arduino on the right is the carrier that uh, is pictured up above, you know, the one that shows all the signals going in and out of the pin header. The carrier on the left is the version that I and it's not at all clear. It kind of looks like one thing. But it's an XB plugged into a different kind of carrier that I've mentioned. It has the USB port built on it, onto it. And um, it's just kind of convenient there because it's powered by the USB cable and the data goes over the USB, you know, um, in digital form, as it were. But, uh, yes, you do need two carriers. Okay, well, wait a minute. Is the Ar I thought you just said that the Arduino on the right-hand side, act as the, that Arduino module acts as a carrier for the XB on that side. Well, maybe I misspoke, but what I meant to say is the... The XB on the right-hand side, and do you see it? It's plugged vertically into the plug board with the wires, you know, four wires going to it. Right to that. Okay, good. That's the XB module with the carrier, what we're calling a carrier board. It's a level translator board, and that's needed to take those five volts that are coming across, uh, the five-volt signals coming across those loop, those multicolored wires from the Arduino. That's what it translates there. And, okay, I got it now. Okay, and then on the left-hand side is another XB, but that's plugged into a USB type of carrier because it's it's just a carrier translator to carrier that has a USB port built into it for convenience. And when we get into it, if we get into it, I don't want to confuse things too much, but you would need that. It would be helpful to have that kind of a carrier when it comes time to using the configurator program XCTU. Question? Sure, Brent, go ahead. Um, looking at the pictures, George, would it be fair to say for the folks that are trying to make out what's what there, uh, would it be fair to say that the LEDs that you see in those two pictures are the are on the carrier boards? Yes, they are. Uh, uh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. That is fair to say that. And one one LED, although I assembled the board, uh, the LEDs backward on one of the carriers, I think um, the red LED is. Well, whichever. Uh, one LED means it uh, indicates when it's transmitting, and the other LED indicates when it's receiving. So it's kind of helpful as far as seeing the system. Okay, so the, the photos of the, um, coming back to the photos of the terminal emulator on the left-hand side, and the com, what's labeled COM14, that's the serial port. So what we're looking at is the, the screen, the actual screen that I had depicted graphically in the, in the system diagram just above it. So there are two um, time instances. When you turn 
when you turn the system on, boom, you know, you turn the power on, right? So immediately the Arduino sends out a message to its local con, um, its, its local serial console that says, good night, moon. Don't ask me. This is what the program, the sample program was. I have no idea what that significance of that is. But at the same time it does that, it sends over the RF link a string that says, hello world. And of course, as I explained how the data flow is in the system diagram, the data flow shows up as hello world on the left-hand um, terminal. Now, actually, I was using my, my terminal emulator program called Indigo, I-N-D-I-G-I-O, no, I-N-D-I-G-O. And that's a free... Um, internet program and it works really well on Windows 7 if anybody's having trouble using terminal emulation or terminal windows on on Windows 7 this works really nicely um, and that's the terminal program and I could have easily have used CTU and I'll show that later on but um, so the Arduino on the right displays immediately to its local terminal goodnight moon and it sends over the RF link up and over and down it sends hello world to the other RF uh, to the other XB module and which shows up in the left hand screen. Now if you slide down one more time, just the last time, um, you'll actually see the effects of me typing. So and it's tough because it I didn't want to show it's hard to show motion data in motion with still pictures. But the first thing I did was in on the right hand side um, in the little text area up there at the top, just underneath where it says COM14, I typed, now is the time, and then I hit the send button, which is at the right-hand side of the text enter field. And what that did was it took the characters, now is the time, and it sent it up and over the RF link and then down into the other XP module, and, it, and then that went, of course, displayed um, through the serial port in the left-hand window. And that's where you see now is the time. And then I took the mouse and I got the focus over on the left-hand terminal. I positioned it um, in the window to get uh, focus. And or I forgot now. Maybe, oh, I had to go into the text window, with the little text line at the very bottom, the text entry window at the bottom. And there is where I typed, for all good homebrewers to build. And I typed it on the left-hand side, down at the bottom there. And then I hit, uh, actually, on that one, I think it transmits as character by character. Um but anyways, I, when, I, when I typed those characters, it showed up on the right-hand side. And whenever I would type a character, I would see the respective LED come on for either sending it on the left-hand side or receiving it on the right-hand side, character by character. N, um, or uh, F-O-R space A-L-L space and so on. So that's just a little bit of a demonstration. And that's all I was intended to do is to show text going in both directions for this bi-directional modem type of uh, connection link. And again, the RF link could have been, you know, five inches apart as it were, as it was in the, uh, on my bench in the photos, or it could be, you know, 50 feet apart, um, perhaps to the different part of the house or other types of command and control that I might want. So that's, that's kind of the, the basic demo. I put the link in there for the Lady Ada site for the, um, there's a whole tutorial. It takes a soup to nuts in her usual pretty good fashion of uh, where, you know, download the software, get the library. You need a library, so there's a link for the library, and you get the library and install that. And it's just as simple as putting it in a certain location in your Arduino folder. And then bringing it up with your Arduino development environment, compiling it, and it gets sent over to your Arduino. And as if you've got things hooked up in the manner that uh, we're showing here, 
bingo, you've got the connection made. Now, undoubtedly, you'll have uh, some questions along the way. And uh, for the most part, the tutorials do a great job, do just a real good job as far as explaining how to get things going. But if you have problems or questions, put a note onto the, uh, the chat with the designer list, you know, the email list. And uh, I check that all the time, of course. And others who have been successful can, can pipe in as well and uh, maybe give a little guidance. So, um, questions about this basic uh, modem, bidirectional typing type of example on what we've talked about here tonight so far with the XB? Yeah, yeah George, yeah. I have a question. Sure, go ahead. Um, in the demo that you did here where you're typing, you know, ASCII data back and forth, I'm curious, does the unit support uh, a full 8-bit binary data as well as 7-bit ASCII? So, for instance, could you use it to, for transferring arbitrary binary data from node to node? Yes, it does. In fact, that's a great lead-in. Um, let's 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 hang on to that question just for a moment, and then that's where we'll pick it up in a moment, and I'll turn it over to Frank for some of the extended uses of uh, and kind of where we're going next and maybe what we tried to get working last night, Frank. But before that, just uh, any other questions about the terminal mode? Uh, uh, examples here, uh, where we got the Arduino, how to connect it up, uh, the software for the library, uh, how do you get it working on your computer, anything like that? Uh, does anything come to mind here for questions? Yes, I've got one. Okay, Rick, you, uh, there are a couple there, but go ahead first. Uh, as I understand it, then, you could have made this whole data transfer back and forth between the two sides of the screen just using two of the left-hand modules, right? The Arduino and the rest of it uh, are essentially superfluous in this. Um, yes, I could have. Uh, that's absolutely true. Okay. Uh, the left-hand module, does it have any ability to accept data from uh, a, a sensor of some sort, or is its only, person, its only purpose to do the uh, USB to RF conversion? It, um, it, it, can do, it can do everything that the other module can do, or for the most part. Hold that thought, too, because that's also in line with what comes next. Great observation, though. Um, did you have a part two question there? That was it. Thanks. Okay. Who else was in there with a question? Oh, I have a, just a real quick question. Okay, Charles, go ahead. Um, when you first turn them both on, do they have a pairing initialization of some sort, or do they? How do they know to pair with each other versus the neighbor's XB? Is it configurable, or is it like totally internally negotiated? Um, I'm gonna turn this over to Frank, but I think for the Series One modules, it picks up first. Frank, Joe and I had this question when we were bringing it up on uh, Saturday uh, during Saturday's lab session. Um, uh, does it pick up the first if, if I had two if I had three series one modules in proximity in RF proximity and they all start and to elaborate on Charles's question here if they all started up the same what is the process for which two get uh, connected okay so uh, going back to Charles' question the answer is is basically yes and, and yes um, they they are indeed configurable. You, you believe we spoke earlier about channels. Uh, a channel is one part of the configuration for the devices. They do ship from the factory with a default channel assignment, and that's why they will speak to each other in what's called transparent mode. That's what George was demonstrating here right out of the box. Um, through the configuration, you can change channels. You can assign uh, a name for the personal area network. That also comes with a default out of the box, which is why they talk. 
um, as to what will happen when there's multiple devices. They, to a degree, will auto-configure so that two of them will talk. If you want to get involved with multiple nodes, uh, meaning three or more devices, then one device needs to operate as what's called a coordinator, and that will handle the logistics for the network. Oh, okay. Well, uh, thank you for restating the first part I kind of didn't pay enough attention to, and good answer. Good explanation, Frank. Thank you. Other um, other questions on what we've talked about here so far in the, in the basic uh, Series 1 uh, modem type of application? Alrighty. Terry, are you, um, I see you're muted, but I don't know if you're listening, but you're probably, uh, you're one of the experimenters extraordinaire that we have joining us each week. Have you had a chance to play with the XP's? No, I haven't. I've been um, looking at them. I've got a couple of little applications I could use with them, but I've been um, uh, fighting Wi-Fi modules, uh, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi modules, and that's been taking up most of my uh, wireless time, but thank you. Okay, good enough. We might come back to you sometime and talk about Wi-Fi, and, that, and that's Wi-Fi on the uh, on the Arduinos, right? You're talking about? Yeah, it's Wi-Fi uh, either standalone. There's uh, there are some Wi-Fi modules that operate very similar to this called Wi-Fi, made by um, oh, now just the name just escaped me, and they operate almost identical to this. They're little standalone modules that you can also hook up to the Arduino. Um, and there's also Arduino Shields. Um, they're made by Roving Networks. And Roving Networks also makes some XB and Zigbee modules. So um, I've been playing with them because I want to have, um, you know, access through the Wi-Fi LAN or WAN here, um, here in the house, the wireless network. Excellent. Okay, we'll definitely come back to you for a different uh, technology sec uh, session here on uh, chat with the designers. Okay, let's let's get back to uh, oh gosh, now I forgot who it was, Brent or somebody else had asked this question. Um, Frank, the question was, of course, um, is that all it can do? Is just transmitting characters? And as we were, as you knew, and as I was finding out, there's a lot more that it can do, and we just started scratching the surface. Let, let's let the cat out of the bag just a little bit as far as the remote temperature sensing thing that we wanted to get we wanted to get operational here for today, but uh, only late last night, about one o'clock in the morning, you you were able to get it working. I had pulled the plug already, and uh, um, you know how is it that we were connecting the um, uh, configuring the left hand terminal, the left hand uh, node uh, to do A to D conversion. Sure. So there's a, a few different modes that these uh, XBs can operate in. As we mentioned a couple minutes ago, the uh, virtual serial cable, if you will, is, is called transparent mode. And that just simply relays data from one module to the other and, and vice versa. The other modes that are available are uh, what's called uh, AT mode uh, for attention mode, which uses commands much like your old Hayes modem did 10 years ago, uh, AT and then some other letters that has it do things. And the final mode is uh, API mode. And one of the features of API mode is that uh, you can leverage the onboard general purpose I.O. and analog to digital converters. So in the case of a wireless temperature uh, sensor, so to speak, uh, you would use your voltage uh, providing temperature sensor like the uh, TMP36, and George mentioned a LM part number, I believe. Uh, 
and you would connect that to one of the uh, analog to digital converter pins on the XB and you configure the XB to sample that pin every so many uh, milliseconds and to take those values and forward them to another module. And once you've configured that, you don't have to do anything else with that module, but provide power to it. And it will wake up and take the readings and send them out over the air and then go to sleep to conserve battery power. Uh, when the timer expires, it'll wake back up and do it all over again. Uh, George, you have anything to add? Not, a, not, not other than, wow. I mean, when I realized that that capability was built in there, uh, just for being able to configure it, it, it was just like it was like opening up uh, an entire new door. I don't know if any of you ever played adventure games and so on, but when you find a new door to open up and you find a whole different uh, set of things that you can do and tools and experiences and devices and whatnot, this is like it opens up a lot new. You could uh, the the process of going to sleep in itself and having an interrupt system, interrupt driven system that uh, can wake up after a period of time. Uh, speaks of battery conservation um, because, as Frank said, all you need is to have a uh, a battery powering the the uh, the XB and uh, and its translator. If if you got to be careful about the, the voltages that you're dealing with, but not even that. If uh, if you if you have like a if you have a 3.3 volt regulator um, or a 3.3 volt battery, but all you need is a battery and um, I, I forgot, I don't know what the power current, the power draw is. Uh, it's in this back up above. But uh, whatever it is, of course, it only is for just a short period of time. Like, Frank, you had your uh, your temperature, the, the one on your uh, thermostat, wake up, uh, was it once every hour, did you say? I actually, uh, that, that particular module is uh, a transmit on demand configuration. Um, my power monitoring transmits one per second. Um, in regards to power consumption, the design goal of these things is to run off battery power for years. Wow, that says a lot. And that also is an indication of, uh, for the advanced thinkers among us here, of kind of where we're going with uh, some of the projects here that are going to include the XB. Um, Russ, you had, a, you had a question? Okay, I guess not. Oh, there, your power draw is about 35 milliamps in transmit, one microamp while asleep. And you go on to say that there are 10 I.O. ports, and all 10 can do digital I.O., and four can be analog input. So thanks for that information, Russ. That's uh, that's good, and it kind of gives you kind of gives some definition to the the initial description that you know is in the data sheets as far as the XB is a uh, forms the basis for a robust sensor network. And uh, with all this kind of I/O, you can have it wake up and do digital reads and send the digital across. Have it on a keypad on your. Uh, I don't want to let too much out of the bag here, but you could have a keypad, um, a remote keypad that suddenly wakes up whenever a key is pressed, reads the keyboard, transmits the key code, and then goes back to sleep, all with a nice little nine volt battery or, or less. So I think it opens up a lot of pretty cool applications that do not have to be connected with your wires and and so on. And um, again, powered for a year. I like the sound of that. Uh, or years. I like the sound of that uh, that tune. So um, what we wanted to get going here um, and to actually show a two-part 
example, and I think we're going to finish up, and certainly by later this week, I'm going to get my temp remote temperature sensing node operational, and I'll have that be the basis for a YouTube video as well that I'll place onto our whiteboard. But that's the extent of what we wanted to show here for our first installment of the XB. And uh, kind of like a first step that everybody needs to take, in my opinion, um, before getting into something more complex. And more complex really isn't overly complex. It just is going to require a different set of uh, um, modules. Now, what I'll do, I've got a series two, a couple, a couple of series two modules on order, and Frank actually went directly to the series two as well. So what we can do to save you guys money is, of course, we can do the same. We can get the same kind of setup here um, and demonstrate. You know, you can take the same basic steps or just almost the simple steps for getting transparent type of operation between two nodes, but using a series two module that will then be able to take forward for the next level of experiments. If you have <clears throat> if you have a series one module, your options are are a little bit limited, more limited as far as how much you'll be able to use it uh, going forward with our uh, ham station mesh network plans. But uh, sometimes experimenting is, is worth every cent that you have to do in order to get, and learning, how do they say, uh, learning is worth everything that you pay to, to get it, if you can really, if you really learn it in the process. All right, anything uh, before, any other questions about XB as, uh, before we kind of leave this and touch base real quickly with the clock? Hey, George, this is Terry with a softball. <laughs> okay, Terry, go ahead. Um, I mentioned Wi-Fi. What uh, these both use the same or similar frequencies? Somebody out there might be concerned that this might interfere with Wi-Fi networks. Is that the case? Frank, do you want to take that softball? Sure. Um, it actually plays uh, very nice. Uh, the, the spread spectrum plays quite nicely. Uh, you know, right here I have, uh, like everybody else, the, the wireless network on 2.4. i got a couple of cordless phones on 2.4. I've got uh, the XB network running um, the past couple days working with George and Joe on this. I've had a second XB network running um, and, you know, a micro, uh, uh, microwave oven that operates on 2.4. And the microphone oven knocks out the uh, cordless telephones and it gives the... Uh, Wireless network for the computer, some grief, but this network has not missed a beat. So there you go. Good question, Terry. Thanks a lot. And I, just frankly, I didn't even think about it because I'm I have my main Wi-Fi, my my main wireless uh, access point here in the house, like just feet away from my my main workstation here, where I have the been doing the experiments with the, the XPs. Didn't even give it a second thought. So that's a, a good question. Okay, let's touch base real quickly on the Precision Arduino clock. And if you all want to slide down just a little bit to the uh, uh, that the next portion of the of the whiteboard, I'll do the same. And you will see the breadboard. And in fact, I think I'm not sure, but I think I have not yet shown my breadboard. We've always been using Joe's breadboard for the photographs, uh, but I built up a similar type of breadboard, literally a board and uh, a whiteboard in this case. Um, then I used Velcro to attach the Rookie and the Arduino and uh, um, a plug board for the LCD and then another larger plug board for more of the expandable um, circuits that we're, we've been adding. So that's my breadboard, functionally the same as Joe's, identical. And uh, But what we've done now in this, in this um, installment is two things, two pretty small things. But one is we've reintroduced the synchronization for the clock. And um, in other words, that's the wire. Those are the wires that utilizes the wires coming over from the left-hand uh, green board, the 
uh, the rookie. It takes the uh, the tones from WWV and um, it ultimately synchronizes in a manner that uh, we've talked about previously in the flowchart. The flowchart is uh, accurate now and it represents what we have. And also, and also, yeah, was there a question there? So, it, um, and there are two push buttons you see about midway on uh, mid position there on the uh, the larger breadboard. One is one is working. One is operating to indeed trigger the um, uh, the synchronization to occur. We no longer need to have a menu. If you recall the some of the earlier software uh, sketches, um, there was a menu that came up on the serial console of the Arduino, and you would hit option eight, I think number eight, menu item number eight to um, trigger the the synchronization for the tone to wait for the tone, and then that would uh, restart the, the seconds at zero uh, in, in synchronism with uh, WWV top of the minute. We don't need that anymore. All you need is a push button, and that's what happens. It, it synchronizes the software in that particular fashion with uh, WWV. The right-hand button is going to be used uh, for a menu, either for selecting or for doing some other things that we have up our sleeve. And uh, so only uh, only one button is used. In the schematic, by the way, uh, the, the schematic a little bit farther down, it's updated too. And uh, you will see that there was a little change from the from the previous schematic in that the, uh, the push buttons are now pulled down. Uh, push buttons. They're not the, the the push buttons go from the serial from the um, from the the digital port to ground as opposed from the digital port up high. This happens to be a, a more convenient way of operating, and uh, that's uh, that's a change from the schematic. In case you're you're following, and I wanted to point out that subtle difference. The other um, the other difference that uh, in this the up the other uh, update as far as we have here is you'll see a nifty nifty four digit multiplexed LED a seven segment LED module it's tipped on its side because that's the way that the the module is uh, uh, the plug board is is wired and uh, what we have is a um, it, it's driven by I squared C or the TWI the two wire interface in fact it's the very same two wires the same I squared C that drives the RTC above the real time clock the the module for the LED has a different address than does the uh, the RTC. So as a result, that uh, uh, they can be tied to the same control signals. And the addressing scheme of the I squared C protocol is able to distinguish whether we're talking to the real time clock or to the module uh, to the LED module. Now the LED module is very very cool, and I've got the actually the part number. It's an, another Lady Ada or, or Ada Fruit. I think they're one and the same, but nonetheless. It's a, an Adafruit part number, and they come in a green LED version, and a red LED version, and a yellow version, and also a blue one that was very cool. I love blue, but they were out of stock on that one. Now, it's a, it's a standard four um, uh, array of four-digit, seven-segment digits that are, that are connected up for multiplexing, but then it fits onto a small carrier board that has muxing software on it that is able to receive I2C, and then it handles the display of each digit, and each digit has a particular address that's handled in the uh, uh, when you're talking to it with I squared C. In other words, you got to buy the um, the little uh, carrier board. It has a chip on there, and then the LED itself. I think together they're like um, $15, $12, maybe $18. I forgot, but it was really worth it. They're nice. They're eight. Uh, 
eight tenths of a eight tenths of an inch in height, I believe. I believe. And um, so it's it's good for kind of close to moderate uh, distance work. And the intention is, it didn't get done in time for the program here, but the intention is to take an echo, the very same um, time information that is showing on the um, uh, the LCD onto the LED display. So we'll have two, LED, uh, two time readouts. And again, you might be able to put this uh, LED clock, uh, LED um, um, digit array into a separate box uh, sitting there on the bench. Uh, you might be you might be able to have it display temperature if you had a temperature sensor in the system here. You might be able to have it display temperature if that temperature sensor were remote and relayed to the space station by means of an XB link, just just for example. So I'm, you know, kind of let your imagination run a little bit wild, and you'll get some of the in, in ideas where we are going. And just so that you think, if you're if you if you know exactly what we're doing. We have some other things that I have not alluded to at all yet. So there are some there are some wonderful things yet to happen. But these are the components. If you wanted to continue building along with us, this is what you would do. And the software for this is uh, posted there too. So uh, questions here about the, uh, the this latest installment for the Precision Arduino clock. Comment. Okay, Rick, you were first. Just wanted to say, now looking at the schematic, you can see that had we chosen to use an LCD uh, display that had the I2C uh, connectivity, we could have saved seven pins uh, on the I.O. Uh, from the Arduino. Yeah, you could have, but you would have not learned an awful lot of the individual things along the way, too. But I'll bet you a nickel that you'll be using an LCD display for some other project that you've got along the way, too. And... Uh, um, there's a lot of different ways that uh, this configuration can be, and it's not to say that the LED is going to be that, that the LED array is going to be the at least in this project the, this used on this base station. It could be like remote a little bit in some fashion, but uh, yeah, it, it's if the um, an LCD that is uh, uh, I squared C controlled is more expensive. It's often called a serial backpack is uh, a conventional name. It's also a product name for a uh, an LCD that can be talked to serially by means of I2C. It's more expensive. We went for the lesser route. And, uh, you know, again, for the LED LCDs that I had here, you know, that was rock bottom. You wouldn't be able to do that elsewhere. So that's why we stayed with, uh, at least keep it simple at first. Keep it simple and sweet. Yeah, it wasn't meant as a criticism, uh, just an observation about the power of having uh, the I2C connectivity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no no problem with being taken wrong. You're absolutely right. And uh, I2C is wonderful in that regard, and we use it in a lot of different other projects. The uh, uh, the SDR Cube uses it uh, quite a bit, and um, there, there's plenty of uh, address space on the I2C bus for a lot of devices to be controlled in that particular manner. Somebody else had a question along the way? George, this is Lee again. The uh, uh, Not knowing exactly what to do, I went out and bought a SandSmart uh, uh, LCD uh, uh, shield that goes into to the uh, for my uh, Arduino that I'd gotten. Is that just did I just waste my money on that? Oh, you'll have to say that again, Lee. I wasn't paying full attention to it. You bought a SandSmart what? I bought a SandSmart uh, LCD shield that plugs right into the top of the Arduino. And now I see that you've got you've, yours is this is totally different. And I actually I did order. I think I ordered what you've got here on uh, on the on your uh, 
Midnight Design site this afternoon or yesterday, and, and I'm wondering whether the SandSmart thing is going to be adaptable to this. Over. Oh, okay. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. No, you you might have to change some uh, of your software around a little bit. Your pin assignment of the in the sketch, and I can help guide you for that. That's that should not be a problem at all. Uh, so you'll okay. be able to use your SandSmart or uh, when you get it uh, the LCD. Uh, module and uh, I forgot what else you had ordered along with that, but um, you'll be able to use the LCD module. Oh, the rookie, um, just fine as well. Either one or the other. Yeah, I can't can't find my rookie back from Atlanticon days, so I had to get another one of those. Okay, uh, Rich is helping me. He's already figured out the pin ch- assignment changes, so uh, maybe I'm, I've just got to get together with him and get some more lessons. Okay, good enough. And, uh, yeah, I miss those uh, Atlanticon days, too. I'm not sure my body can take the coordinating of those Atlanticons anymore, but those were fun days for sure. And I see Mike has posted that you know, a couple of uh, errors. I'll get those things corrected on the whiteboard uh, uh, straight away after the program. Thanks, Mike. Um, other uh, other questions here? Yeah, George, I have one. Sure, go ahead. Um, I'm noticing on the schematic on your I2C bus there that there are no, uh, apparently no um, pull-up resistors to 5 volts, which I think are, are required and, and uh, normally present. And I'm just wondering whether or not they might be incorporated uh, directly on the Arduino board and just not shown on the schematic there. You're exactly correct on both, uh, both counts. Um, it is required, an active pull-up is required, but we're fortunate with the Arduino that we can configure the outputs, A4 and A5, and other pins, to have what we call active uh, pull-ups internal to the uh, to the Arduino chip. So um, it, it's included there, and it's just keeping it simpler. Other questions? Uh, is Terry for a comment? Sure, Terry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, the uh, previous question about the Sane Smart. if that's a, the $50 module, like the Radio Shack cells and Late Ada and a few others, that's actually an SPI bus driven uh, complete LCD and touchscreen display. So that's going to be quite a bit different than the LCD you're using. Okay, um, and, and I think I do recall that, that there there can be a complex, a more complex one there. I think the end result is that whether it's SPI or um, parallel or even another I squared C, it probably can be adapted. And it sounds like Rick might be in the process of, of helping uh, Lee out and doing that. But that's a great point. Um, but the issue is, I think that for the most part, um, unless you just run out of, you have too much IO for the Arduino and, you know, um, the shield that you might have with touch input and push buttons and, and other types of uh, I.O. needs. If you use up all of the I.O. on the Arduino, then there might not be enough left to do the things that we're doing here and showing on the hour schematic. But um, we'll take it on a case-by-case basis and help you out, Lee, for sure. Okay. Well, for, uh, first off, it's a, like a 14 or $18 part on Amazon. It wasn't the $50 part that he was talking about. Sorry. No, no need for that. I'm glad told me. No need to be sorry for sure because it's 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 this kind of revelations that we discover when we buy the parts and oops it's the wrong one or we can accommodate it or or whatnot. Good uh, good points, Terry. Thank you. Alrighty, Frank, did you want to kind of wrap? You know, I don't know if you recall how I have. Uh, uh, Joe likes to kind of wrap things up and just a quick summary of the of the XP part, anyways, and kind of what we covered today. Sure, I'll give it a try. Uh, try to do my best Joe impression. Uh, tonight we spoke a little bit about the XB modules, gave a little bit of an introduction about what they are, a little bit about how they work, where we can purchase them, 
different ways to interface them, be it to the computer or to a microcontroller. And then finally, we spoke a little bit about uh, where we hope to go with this technology in the future, introducing a couple of new projects here for the uh, Chat with the Designers audience. George? Good job there, Good job. Frank. Thank you. Um, uh, hey, Russ, hey. X or KX5G, you're either typing and using your PTT switch in the keyboard or you got your Vox turned down, so you're kind of in and out of here, uh, creating a little bit of interference. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for uh, watching. Be careful on that. Um, and uh, to just summarize where we've been with the clock, I think we're advancing the clock project, the Precision Arduino clock. Uh, it's becoming a little bit more precision with the synchronization. Um, we'll soon be introducing uh, the next level of synchronization, which is way cool, um, uh, using a modem, an, a Bell modem, a Bell 103 modem chip. Uh, we were talking about it a little bit on the uh, on our uh, the, the email list, I forgot the number now, MC145 something or other. And uh, that is going to decode the CHU data stream such that we can get actual data, time, um, actual time data and synchronization data digitally from CHU into the Arduino. And later on after that, we just changed that chip over to a, a DSPIC, which is a small 18-pin PIC that is able to do certain kinds of demodulation. And then we can take that same kind of digital modulated, digitally, well, we can take that same modulated information coming from WWV this time, demodulate that, and have the same kind of digital time and other information coming from WWV, which is a more universally or a wider, I think, a wider uh, received type of signal. So that's kind of where we're heading. And again, still keeping the wraps on some of the, the secret wonderful stuff that's going to be happening downstream with our projects. But the ball, uh, the wheel is turning. And if you're following along, we're pleased to have you here with us. If you're following along on the bench, we're really pleased and would love to hear about your progress and, and challenges and, and discoveries and along the way. And if you're following along during the podcast on the way to work, on the car or in the train or in a bus, whatever you might be, we'd love to hear from you relative to how you like the program and, uh, and if, if things can be improved at all or covered new topics and things of that nature. So so for uh, for tonight, we're going to say 73 to everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Um, we hope Joe gets better. We, we saw him poke his nose in on the, on the text window here and to say hey. And we'll see him here next time. A big thank you to Frank N3PUU for guest hosting here for us tonight uh, with me. And uh, this is George N2APB saying 73. And we'll see you all in two weeks where we'll pick up the next uh, session of chat with the designers. Good night, everybody.